Some people work in nine to five jobs. I am one of the lucky ones. Somehow I landed in the dream job. Welcome to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef. Hi, I'm Lisa Mead, and for the past 27 years, I've been working on luxury super yachts in the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, and my home turf of Australia. I've cooked for royalty, heads of state, celebrities, and all walks of life. I'm going to be talking to crew, past charter guests, and loads of people that are connected to the global yachting community. We're going to hear amazing fun stories and also lots of useful information and tips. So welcome aboard. I first met Patrick Ward when he hired me to chef on his yacht, Lady Gee. We had some interesting charters and I'm going to see if he recalls any of them and find out what he's been up to since then. Hello, Patrick. Hi. How are you? Wonderful. All's good. Um, lovely to hear you for after so many years. I know. It's been a few. I'm just trying to work out how many, but I'm afraid to think about it. I left BVI in 2000, so... 20 years. Holy cow. Well, and, and then you and then you were I was you didn't you were working somewhere else by that stage. You were on the mega yachts. Yes. So I, yeah, so it's a long it's time. It's been ages, yeah. And where are you currently? Where are you at the moment? I'm in Inbaban in Swaziland, or now called Eswatini, and uh, in the hotel industry, family business, running a hotel in after a very difficult two years of COVID. That's right. I guess I should probably start from the very beginning and find out where you actually, where did you grow up? Um, in Swaziland, well, uh, uh, born in Durban and my family, and my parents at that stage were running a hotel called The Bend in, in Big Bend, which is an agricultural area, uh, then moved up to Mbaban and we were all sent off to boarding school in South Africa at about nine years old. We went to boarding school. Um, so most of the growing up, obviously, at boarding school, but back home for school holidays. Any any fond memories? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Swaziland's been a fantastic place to grow up. It's um, peaceful. It's friendly. People are friendly. Um, but, you know, parents were in the hotel industry, so we would do a lot of trips to Sudana Bay, the beach, uh, through to Mozambique uh, prior to uh, the Mozambique War, but uh, mostly through to Sudwana Bay uh, and the coast and go fishing, ski boat fishing off the coast and diving. Um, but then, you know, holidays in Swaziland, either working in the hotel when we got a bit older or going down to the the, the local dams for skiing. We did a lot of skiing when we were growing up. So, uh, yeah. I'm going to ask you a question that I, most people would probably ask you, but um, where your family live, did you have any interesting animals roaming around? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, if you, we still do. If you leave the windows open, your fruit bowl will be attacked by the monkeys. <laughs> um, so uh, they're, they're a constant uh, uh, visitor. Um, no, we don't have any um, sort of... Uh, any other sort of big fight or anything roaming around. Although, um, you know, okay, so just around the house, we might get back definitely varieties of snakes, uh, lots of, uh, well, you used to snakes in Australia, but lots of <laughs> Mozambican cobras and things. Um, but uh, as we speak now, where we were in Big Bend, the occasionally lion would get out of the out of the game parks. Um, right now, as we speak, and over the last six months, there's been a lot of elephants roaming um, from Rose, Mozambique through the 
Lowfelt and Swaziland and back up to Kruger Park. So it happens occasionally, but you don't generally know in our area no, no sort of roaming wildlife. It, it all sounds so exotic. Um, you know, obviously it's it's normal for you, but just mind you, I say that and I live in the country with some crazy looking animals. So <laughs> it's all relative, I guess. Um, yeah. I remember um, I had the pleasure of actually coming to Swaziland on a, a trip that I did where I went to South Africa and Swaziland. Um, I, I got there and stupidly didn't think to contact you in advance. And I remember being in some coffee shop and I thought, oh, I should ask the owner if they know you just randomly in the middle of Swaziland. So I went up to this lady and she said, yes, I know. I know Patrick um, and I, I'll call him right now. And so <laughs> I just randomly <laughs> spoke to you and you're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then I proceeded to give you the wrong information on where we were actually staying, which sucked because it was completely the other direction where you thought I was. So we didn't get the chance to meet. That was, that was so sad. I would have loved to have caught up with you then. And, um, and I'm sort of kicking myself for not getting in the car and just driving down. But it was a good two-hour drive to where you were camping. Oh, yeah. It would have been a two-hour drive back. Um, and, but had I known earlier, I certainly would have organised and got myself in line to do it. But, uh, yeah, it would have been lovely to see you. It, it would, it would, although I did have a special uh, situation happen. So we went, obviously, to visit, visit a tribal village, and um, <laughs> I'm sure this happens with every tour group, but the son of the, the, the tribal leader proposed to me and offered my mother, I think, four elephants and some goats to, to have my <laughs> <annual> <laughs> marriage. <laughs> Mum was a bit concerned that they wouldn't fit in the backyard in Australia, so we had to decline that offer, but um, <laughs> it was quite interesting. Um, but uh, beautiful place, and if anyone's listening, that they should definitely visit Swaziland. It's just incredible. I think the place that we stayed at, that the um, the camp that we were at, there'd been a, um, a a lion that had been seen, so we all had to be extra careful at night. Um, so that was quite exciting. Yeah, I think you stayed at Slane. Slane yes. Game Reserve. Yes. And yes. yeah, they do have lion there now. I don't know if they had lion when you were there, but certainly, um, you know, maybe the because the lion is kept in, um, a, it's not an enclosure, but it's a smaller um, area than the whole game park. Um, so maybe they'd got out of that into the rest of the park. Or maybe it was just a big pussycat and I got confused. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely there's, in that Lowfelt area, there's a lot of leopards in the mountains. Oh, maybe, um, maybe that's what it are, is. Yeah. Leopards are very hard to spot. You know, they're, they're around. They're around. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Now, you, we were talking before the podcast and I, I brought up the um, – the thing that happens every, the special occasion that happens every year in Swaziland where the king uh, picks a virgin bride. And I, when we did speak on the phone, you, you mentioned that I just missed it, I think, at the time. Um, can you explain what that, that uh, ceremony is all about? Well, um, yeah, there is a bit of a misconception that, they, that the people believe that the king chooses a wife at the reed dance. Uh, it's called the reed dance in Swati, the Yungshana. It is a misconception that he, it's there for him to choose a wife. In fact, the reed dance is paying homage to the Queen Mother. Um, so all the ladies gather and they go down to the river 
and they collect reeds and bring them to the royal residence. And those reeds are for building the windbreaks around the royal residence. Uh -huh. And then a part of the, um, of the ceremony when all these ladies come out onto the fields, um, uh, onto the field and parade in front of the king, the king has to go out and greet them. And uh, he does what's called a gear, or a, I'm not sure specifically the interpretation of that, but a dance to thank them um, for their work, obviously. And he may select he may select a wife at that uh, reed dance, but ah. that's not to say you know he can select a wife any time of the year. It doesn't actually have to be the reed dance, oh. but um, it is a fantastic cultural event. And, yeah, um, I'm really, I'm really disappointed I wasn't there because I know when we worked together, you mentioned it quite a few times, and I was like, "Dreads, <laughs> I missed it." Yeah. Now, so, I, yeah, he, he he can select, and he can um, select any time that during the year. Um, but but it's uh, really it is a it's a it's a gathering to collect reeds for the Queen Mother. Wow. When you were in school, do you what languages did you learn? Uh, we had to do Afrikaans. Yes. Um, Afrikaans was the main language, obviously English. It was a Methodist boarding school. Right. Um, much like probably in Australia, you got a lot of the same sort of things. Um, uh, it wasn't co-ed, which was quite right. disappointing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, after school, I haven't used Afrikaans much. Yeah. Do you know... Patrick, I still remember the very bad words that you taught me in Afrikaans that I, I use every time I meet someone that speaks the language and they're mortified <laughs> that I know these words. <laughs> they, I, I can't mention them on this podcast or I'll get taken down. <laughs> but they were very, very bad. <laughs> I, did, I did ask I'm you to get bad words. I'm glad I, I'm glad I prepared you properly. <laughs> Yes, they've they've come in use quite often over the years. <laughs> now you, you've you finished high school, and I'm guessing after that, did you go back to the hotel and start working there, or did you go on to college? To, yeah, after school, I went to Technicon Technical College, mm -hmm. um, and I did construction management, construction supervision. Yeah, um, it was a three-year course. It was six months prac, six months theory. So I worked on building sites for six months, and then I, uh, then I was back at tech for six months. And after that, I went into building and started a little construction company with my father. We built a number of houses. Wow! And then we, um, the hotel property that we have, we added a whole lot of. I guess what we did about building houses is sort of learn, and then we came and built on the hotel. Um, and we built, you know, we built up the hotel with numerous more rooms and extensions and renovations. And, you know, we've always been maintaining and building our own properties and, and, and maintenance and renovating and upgrading. You know, hotels is never stagnant. You Things change and you've always got to upgrade and do something new. So Yeah, yeah absolutely. How many rooms do you have currently at the hotel? At the moment, we've got 58 rooms. Wow. Um, five, five conference rooms, restaurant, bar. Yeah, so it's medium size. Yeah. That's, that's it still keeps a, us busy. Yeah, I bet it does. <laughs> so, yeah, so you 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 were doing the the, the hotel thing and you, you'd done your course and your building. How did you, when did the, the sailing part of your life start and or where did you learn to sail? Uh, well, um, the old man, my father, 
for years and wanted a boat and he found a boat down in Durban uh, that was for sale. Uh, well, he found a boat down in Durban that was for sale. It was a wooden boat. And he um, bought it and he started fixing it up. And then he flew across. He had heard about charters in the BVI and he flew across to the BVI to see what company would be able to look after the boat and charter it for him. Right. And nobody seemed to be interested in a wooden boat. So uh, he came back and I said, well, I'll take it across and I'll run it. And uh, wow. that's what actually ended up happening. So we employed, before I got on board and, and went, I did a, a deckhand course and a, I'm not sure what the second course is. There's, there's three or four layers before you get to your master. So I've done the first two. And we hired a German skipper and he took us across the Atlantic. So we went Durban, Cape Town, Cape Town, St. Helena, St. Helena, Antigua, Antigua BVI. And, what was that trip uh, like? I, that was fantastic. I loved every second of it, and uh, I'd actually love to do it again. Um, and I'd love to do more. Sort of the transatlantic is fantastic. And I'd the weather, to, uh, weather uh, conditions uh, were pretty good on that trip. Oh uh, no! Well, after Cape Town, yes, but prior to Cape Town, we had we went through some pretty big storms. Number of ships going down around us. Whoa! Uh, that was ninety four. I think it was a fifty or sixty foot swell. Wow. Um, and uh, there was a barge watch washed up on Clifton Beach and a, a Chinese tanker went down with no signal going out. And by when we got into Cape Town Harbor, there was a big oil tanker with a whole bow taken off. God. Um, so that was, a, that was a heck of a storm. So we actually left from Durban. I think we stopped in at PE and then we went from PE and we got that bad weather front coming up because they come up very quickly in the Cape. Um, and in those days, the weather forecasting obviously wasn't as good as it is now. But, no. Uh, so we, 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 we tucked into a little place called Struspai, and we hung out there for two days. And the lighthouse crew came out in a dinghy and bought us more diesel. Um, then we carried on down to, I think it was down to Hart Bay, and then Hart Bay into Cape Town. But once you leave Cape Town and you've got a good weather window, a couple of days out of Cape Town and you've got the uh, trade winds behind you. So that's just fantastic sailing. That's 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 the sweet spot right there. Absolutely, yeah. So maybe if I do it again, what we'll do is put the boat onto a truck and drive it across South Africa and <laughs> launch it from the other side. <laughs> that sounds like a really smart idea, actually. <laughs> so you eventually get yourself to the British Virgin Islands and you um, obviously start chartering. Do you have any recall on the first charter that you did or one of the first? Yeah, I do. Um, sort of, you know, memory is very vague, perhaps <laughs> conveniently, perhaps conveniently so. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we had friends, actually, there were there was somebody um, from, uh, who was living in the States from Swaziland um, who came on board with all his friends. Um, so it was more of a friend's charter than a actual, it was paid for, but it was friends. And so it was a bit of a breaking in as to as to chartering. And uh, um, I had my mate Kenley on board and there was myself. And I think we, and, and I know, I don't, don't think I know that what we put the autopilot on, the autopilot went askew and we <laughs> ended up knocking a rock. And, uh, oh, dear. 
and, and it burst the seal on the ram for the rudder, but oh, we managed to carry on with the charter by putting a tiller arm onto the emergency tiller arm on, and then off we went until that uh, ram was fixed. Wow. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, you live and you learn. There's 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 nothing like doing it to learn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I joined your boat as the chef. Uh, I think you you had a lady before me that was a, a British uh, woman, and then I think I was up next after that. If it, would that be right? I can't remember. I had a very Ginny uh, Greer, I think, and she was American. She was a very quite a bit older lady, right? Um, right. She was on charters. Yeah. And, and and then there was um, there was a young couple whose husband was a joiner, and she came on board as a chef. They lived up in Trellis Bay. You might yes. remember them. Yes. Yes. So I don't know who was first and who was next, but I think they were British, huh? They were British, yeah. They, I was quite yeah. friendly with that family in, yeah. in Trellis Bay. And so they, when they I, had kids. They did. They had a, I think they had a little boy and a little girl uh, at the yeah. time. But uh, I, I remember, so I was quite uh, new to be working on yachts when I joined you, but we, I was saying to you before we started the podcast, you know, it's funny, I've obviously done like 27 years of chartering, but there were plenty of crazy charters that actually happened when I worked with you <laughs> and I was re- reminding you of well one particular charter that I think we just picked up uh it was a honeymoon couple in St Thomas and we were heading across the channel over to the island of St John in the USVI and it was rough 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 seas and you you'd mentioned that it seemed strange that there were no boats out anywhere which was partly due to the fact that there was some horrific weather system coming through. Um, so luckily um, they had planned to stay at a, a very fancy resort at the end of the trip and somehow we managed to get a room in this hotel for the night while the storm passed over and we all hung out together in the dark with uh, no electricity before we moved on for the rest of the trip. But you were saying you're, you're a bit hazy on those those details. Yeah, you know, for, you know, probably probably conveniently vague. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, don't be vague. Drink hag. Um, so yeah, I, I sort of sort of remember it. I do remember. You you know, you bring up certain things like me saying I can't understand why there's no other boats. You know, that's exactly what I would say. <laughs> Uh, similar, similar, similar thing happened up in Antigua when there was a that particular year. I think there were lots of hurricanes marching across the Atlantic. It was yes. like four days later there was another system coming through, and uh, I woke up in the early in the morning in Antigua. Uh, the, the restaurant that was all banging because they were putting all the tables away, and I went ashore and said, "What on earth are you doing?" And I said, That's <laughs> there's, another, "There's another system on the way." So, yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I, I don't know why this. I'm remembering this now, but I remember um, <laughs> we were on charter and we were anchored in the bite at Norman Island and being a, a bit of a, a wild and woolly night at the Willy T, which is a floating bar boat and a late night. And I woke up in the morning to get breakfast ready and I, I climbed into the, the cockpit of the boat and realised that we weren't in the same place that we started off. <laughs> and we were slowly drifting out into the channel, luckily not anywhere that was risky. 
I suggested maybe you might want to get up and have a look. Do you, do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that happened only once. I think. <laughs> um, and I had a CQR anchor, and I remember this. That CQR anchor gave me lots of trouble um, because it's the sandy bottom in most of the bays and in, in the BVI. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, you go back and you say, why on earth would they make an anchor in exactly the same shape as a plow? <laughs> you know, it's supposed to part the sand and slip through the sand. You know, yeah. that's exactly what a CQR does. So eventually, what I ended up doing is changing my anchor and putting a Danforth on there. Yep. Um, and that was ideal for anchoring in the BVI. Who thinks of making an anchor in the shape of a plow? Exactly. <laughs> but, but Patrick, honestly, it was kind of nice waking up to a new destination other than what you just gone to bed with. So that was, always, that was should, always entertaining. I should, I, should have, I should have charged extra for that. <laughs> and, uh, speaking of charters, I, I was reminding you of um, this, this, this goes down as one of, it's actually I'm writing a memoir and this charter, this story is in my book. You, a guy had been, he booked your boat just as a single guy and then gone to some party in LA and then basically just handpicked a bunch of people that he didn't even know to come for the week on the boat and, and charter. And so none of them knew each other and they brought, you know, pop-up tents that they were going to sleep in on the foredeck where there were beautiful cabins inside. I think they ended up doing that too, but they ended up being swingers. So it was like, you know, rotating people all through the week, lovely people, but just a very interesting crowd. Yeah. They're, they're again, uh, I sort of had sort of vague memory of it, but um, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think they were really interested in you. And um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was different, very different. It was, it was very different. I think the two of, us, if I do remember, the two of us try to sneak off somewhere and yes. uh, go to a restaurant somewhere. And yeah. <laughs> Escape briefly. <laughs> the the best part about that trip was that there was one one lady was um she was like a massage therapist for you know celebrities and famous people and she had this super fantastic clothes all through the week she was wearing really cool dresses and skirts and stuff and I was always complimenting her on how great everything looked and she left the entire wardrobe for me when you know she literally left in what she was wearing and left everything shoes clothes everything and I wow. honestly oh, and it, people would compliment me on these outfits for a few years <laughs> after that I was so grateful it was just the nicest thing to do <laughs> It's a pity it didn't work when people were wearing diamond rings and Rolex watches. It was just yes, absolutely yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you you get to the BVI, and am I right saying that at one point your your dad had a the, the hotel on Tortola as well? Yes, yeah. We um, because we were in the hotel business. When he got out there, and we had the boat out there whilst he was there. He, there was a hotel that was up for rental, not for sale, it was for rental. He went into that and he, he decided to, he wanted to be in the BVI and he was going to operate this hotel. And uh, six or seven months into actually leasing the hotel and operating it, he, he got summoned back to Swaziland um, to be a senator in the government. Wow. Um, so he had to leave what he was doing there and come back and he had to find somebody else to run it. And my brother who wasn't in the family business at that time, sort of resigned from where he was working. He was working for Sun International in South Africa. So he went over to run it. Um, it wasn't an operation that was 
uh, ever going to be successful or able to be successful. There wasn't the um, the number of rooms that you could turn over, and also the room occupancy at that time to actually fill rooms wasn't there because you know the whole scene of the BVI is getting onto a boat. Right. Really. Yeah. It's a pity, isn't it? Because I mean, if yeah, it would have been lovely if it did work out for sure. I, I mean, remember where it was positioned, which was a beautiful spot, sort of in the middle part of the Absolutely. island, looking out onto the channel. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Fort Bird. What we thought of, you know, at the time what we were looking at doing was linking to the hotel with the charter boat and doing, um, you know, three days of the hotel and then three days on the boat and that type of thing. But, you know, it just didn't, um, different culture, different, uh, you, you, you think of your business experience in one part of the world and you try and put that into another part of the world and it, it doesn't uh, Doesn't it doesn't quite pan out. No. And, yeah. and um, you know, your your how we work here with inflation and you don't have really have, infl- well, they have inflation now, but you never used to have inflation uh, working for you, um, you know, doesn't, uh, doesn't work. D- different business models don't work in different parts of the world. Yeah, that's true. What were some of the pluses and minuses, do you think, of, of living and working in the BVI? Oh, you know, I can't think of any minuses. They were all pluses. It was a spectacular time. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Because you were there in your 20s, so that's like the best time, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, what one forgets, one remembers and and glorifies the the life and how it was, and it was fantastic. But there are, there always are moments. There's, you know, getting wet when, you know, what time of the year is it when the wind's always blowing up 25, 30 knots? Like Christmas winds? Weeks on end, yeah, and then every time you get the dinghy to go ashore to get something, you get wet, and then you come back <laughs> and you get wet, and then the dinghy motor doesn't start, and then you have a puncture, and then the engine breaks, and, you know, there's, there's always something, um, yeah. And in between charters, okay, so if you're going to do a charter, you prefer to have a back-to-back because if you've got three days, all the toolboxes come out and the tool yeah. gets spread all over the place, and then actually to put it back together again is a mammoth job. So. You, yes. you, you you glorify everything and 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 it was fantastic and uh one yearns for it it's 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 really missed and but, and, a, um, and a great community of people too right lots of fun absolutely, interesting absolutely people from fantastic. everywhere yeah you make friends who um you know you think of all the time um uh, you know they're with bvi there's yourself and you're an aussie now there's other people um and they're they will always be friends yes even if you don't communicate you know the memories of that friendship is there. Yeah, I think you all become family, really, because, you know, yeah. your, your families are so far away. Yeah. Yeah, a fabulous time. And anybody in their, in their young, I mean, late 20s, early 30s, or whatever time in life, retirement, it's just a fantastic part of the world. Oh, for sure. You know, you're talking about um, problems with, you know, the boats and I, I can't count how many captains I've spoken to that say exactly the same thing. You know, they'd much rather be out on charter because, you know, off charter is just maintaining and fixing things, which is not not the fun part of the job. But I remember we we were on a charter and I think we were heading from Virgin Gorda to Anagata and every now and then you get the, the fish traps out there with the – sometimes they have a little tiny – drink bottle that's floating in the water that you can barely see so it's really easy to just go over the top of these things and then of course you know the line gets wrapped around the rudder or whatever and I remember we were midway probably and you had to climb 
off the back of the boat and with a knife just go down and cut through this thing. And I just thought, oh, my God, that's just amazing that you can do that. <laughs> well, it was quite easy when you're younger to hold on and whatever and do that. Um, yeah. I, I guess, you know, as you get older, you get wiser perhaps. But um, I've done that a number of times because it was, I, could, I could hold on to the, that, that platform and, and pull myself forward to the rudder. It hooked on the back, of the, on the bottom half of the rudder, the, there was a little metal piece that it would hook on there. Yes. Um, and I did that a couple of times. I did that at night on the way to Antigua. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, you don't want to be letting go. No, God, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, and there were, you were a dive instructor, or you are a dive instructor, but um, obviously that was a big part of um, your trips on the boat for people to come and um, either as certified divers or did, did you teach anyone to dive as well? Did you do dive lessons? I have taught numerous people to dive, but actually on the, what, what I found, and I thought it was, you know, we were going to do dive courses, but when I got to the Caribbean, it was, and uh, at that stage, they bought out these resort courses, which were, wasn't a full diving course, but what it did, did do was enable you to, um, you know, enjoy the holiday and go and do some diving by doing a quick uh, resort course. Obviously, it does, that doesn't make you certified. You have to go along with an instructor. Yeah. Um, and and it's all shallow and it's calm. And so the, the whole secret is to be diving in in calm, shallow, clear water that's easy, but, you, you, you know, you're less likely to encounter any problems. Exactly. What's the, do you remember the name of the, the dive site that was on the way to Anagata? And it would, I think it was like a, could it have been was a Korean? Wreck. Yeah, it was a no, wreck. It was a, yeah, it was a Chakuzan. Chakuzan. The wreck of yes. the Chakuzan, yeah. And it always had, oh, fantastic. Um, you're bringing back memories now. Uh, <laughs> it had schools of Barracuda that as you got in and you went down um, onto the wreck, um, they would be circling around. Oh, fantastic dive. There's always a big, um, I think, what was it called? A big Jewfish. Um, who was what was down the there. fish that looked like a shark? Jacob Jacoby? Is that the right term? Yeah, for that's ringing a bell. Yes, yeah. It almost uh, looks like a shark, except there's something different about it. And you'd warn me because on this particular dive that you guys were doing, obviously I stayed on board the boat, but you know, I had the chance to jump in and just have a quick snorkel. And you said, just be careful because when you get in the water, this thing's going to come right up to you to say yes, hello. I remember him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, it did. And I, I was like, I, <laughs> I'm going to have to do a bit of research on that. I can't remember what he was called. You know, we, we can't remember what that was called, but I, I do remember that fish. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, talking about fish always being stunning, you know, it's just like game doing, um, but it's under the water is when you, took guests on a certain dive. Um, there was always sort of circuits that I did at different reefs that, that I found personally interesting. Yes. And after doing those circuits so many times, you would come over a rock and you would see the same fish in the same place. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was always amazed. I can't remember the name of the fish, but there was one one particular fish that I was always happy to see when he was still there in his little cave. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they, so you get to recognize all these little features that, 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 that those, those animals are all in the same place and they have their little homes. And, yeah. Oh, for sure. What, what was one of your, what were your top three favorite dives to do, do you think, in that, not necessarily BVI, but all in the Caribbean? Uh, I, I went down twice to St. Croix 
and um, the walls off of St. Croix are fantastic. Um, if, I, if I remember, okay, so you sail into Christianstad, which is in the middle of the island, yep. and then down to is it something called River, something River? Yes, yes. Some, something River, um, and just off of there, so you, you bump your way across the sandbar into the river or lagoon um, and anchor in there, and then you go out in the dinghy, and there's a great big drop-off. And I think there used to be a underwater research station there. Oh, wow. But the, the, the walls there are fabulous. I mean, they just go down forever. That's why there was a research station um, underneath, I think, 60 or 80 feet down there that they used to live in and um, do research. Um, but the walls there are just fabulous. And then down to uh, Frederikstad, um, also some fantastic diving down that end. But yeah, uh, off of the back that. of off the back of Ginger Island. Oh yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Um, and the other one, which was always always great, which I lost the dinghy once off at, was um, uh, Dead Man's Chest. Yes. Yeah. Um, you went into a little cave, and then you came up, and there was a, a hole going up to the surface. Um, but you could only do that in good weather. Um, but that That's was always amazing. interesting. Yeah. Chikus is fantastic. Yeah. Wreck of the Rhone. Of course, yeah, yeah. Was the, the dive site off the back of Ginger Island, that was Painted Walls, right? Was it called Painted Walls? No, Painted Walls was, uh, was uh, Alison, wasn't Alice in Wonderland? Oh, yes, 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 that's right. Yeah. Alice in Wonderland because of the mushroom uh, mushroom corals, yeah. brain corals, like mushrooms, yeah. That's right. Um, I think Painted Walls, was it not... By the Indians, or was painted? Where was painted walls? I have um, to go back and look. Yeah, <laughs> there was another site. Painted walls might have been on the other side of uh, other side of Trellis Bay, Camelot Island, on the other side of that. Oh, okay. Yeah. And there yep. was a um, there was a tunnel with a little air cabin inside it, and then you went back through another tunnel and you came out on the other side. And it was beautiful, um, beautiful diving. Did you take uh was did you ever come with me to the uh, little Camino um facing out to the ocean um there was a, a like a blowhole where you could climb up it was like a big almost like a jacuzzi size um waterhole where you climbed over the rocks and then you jumped in and the water would drop down like 6 to 8 feet because it was an underwater tunnel so it would suck out and then spit you back up and you really had to center yourself in the middle because if you were around the edges, you'd be slammed against the rocks. But oh, it no. was the most fun, but really scary. <laughs> Did I do that with you? Probably some, not. No, no, not, not, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've remembered another no. charter when you were talking about St. Croix, and you, you must remember this one. Um, it sticks in my mind. So, again, this was a couple that were uh, newly married. I think it was their honeymoon. And it was a longer trip than normal. I think maybe two weeks that we had them. Enough time that we, or maybe not, but we they were desperate to go to St. Croix. And we were in uh, Norman Island at the time. And you, you'd you said, oh, the conditions are not the greatest to go today, but, you know, everyone was really keen. So you were like, okay. And it was really, really bad rolling seas with not a lot of wind. And it took forever to get there. And because it was rolling seas, the, the wife and myself spent probably all those hours lying on the deck, just hurling over the side <sighs> of the boat, 
while you were having a, a lovely time with husband chatting away. <laughs> <And> we, <laughs> we finally got into the main harbour in St. Croix. I don't know which one it was, but it was rough in there and it was just coming on to a sunset and I went down to check on things inside the boat and there'd been flooding and the bilges had overflowed and it was just stuff floating around everywhere and then it was like dinner time and thank God that the, the husband just looked at me and he said, we're all going ashore, we're going to do dinner ashore because this is not a good time to be rocking and rolling. <laughs> I was never so grateful in my life. <laughs> we ended up going to some bar that was, I think it was called Gilligan's Bar and we had the yeah. best time. We had a great night. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So we went into Christianstad. Yes, I know that. Yeah, I remember that. You remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think I snorkeled around there in the morning in the harbour. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, I snorkeled around there in the morning in the harbour and that morning I saw a little squirrel fish. I can't remember, but eating another fish anyway. Um <laughs> Toadfish. It was a toadfish, and he had just snapped another fish in his mouth. Wow! Um, all those spots, even though you're in a harbour, there's still fantastic, you know, fish and whatever to see because it was quite clean that harbour. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> uh, ideal. It wasn't ideal for sailing, and there was a lot of rocking and rolling because um, I think we had our main up yes. and uh, just had to motor sail, and uh, it still doesn't help that there's no wind. We, you you had warned us and we didn't listen to you, so it's it was our own fault for being, <laughs> creating a mutiny. <laughs> but it was an adventure and one that I'll never forget. So, <laughs> you know, you know even a, a rainy day on the sea is better than you know your best day at work. So that's true. You you can't complain too much. That's for sure. You've done a number of years now in the BVI and, and it's you've decided it's time, time to move on somewhere else. So where did you head on to after you left the British Virgin Islands? Uh, I came back to Swatini. Um, uh, we, uh, we, I sold the boat and uh, at the time, you know, we were the hotel that we own now, we were renting and the leases were coming up to an end and we had another property. It's actually another property that we still run, which has got a um, a number of rooms on it called Emma Fini. And, um, and the plan was that I was coming back to add on and do construction and build on Emma Fini, um, a lodge, so that we had somewhere to carry on and move to. Oh. Um, so we did start construction. We built uh, a couple of conference rooms and we added on to Emma Fini. But by the time we'd done that, we had negotiated a purchase, I think, right. that time. Um, so, oh no, we re we renewed the lease on terms that were were reasonable because the fear was that the lease had come to an end. Now they're going to renegotiate and we're going to be squeezed. So we needed somewhere to to bail out to. Um, but subsequent to all of that, we we purchased the hotel that we that we are now in, and um, so we got the two properties, Mountain Inn and Emmafini. Right. Um, and. Martin Inn is the property that we have just recently sold uh, and uh, we'll be moving on doing other things. Yeah, that's really exciting. But before we get to that part, was there a period of time when you actually moved to the States for a while and worked there? Uh, no, I came back. Yes, I came back to Swaziland um, and got married, had a daughter um, in 2013. 2013, I moved to the States. 
We uh, went to the Keys first, thinking hotels, diving, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, although it's very expensive living. Yes. I, um, I was doing, uh, I was working for uh, somebody doing, collecting underwater fish and uh, underwater critters and different coral things for the aquarium trade. Oh, wow. Um, he, had a, he had a special license, so we would collect and we would take it back to the lab grow it um, and then when the orders came in we would vacuum uh, we'd pack it in, in bags with oxygen and um, and ship the, the, the things off for the aquarium people what was um, the most unusual also, um, specimen that you 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 got uh, well the the the, the, um, the regular the regular collection was going out and collecting snails uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Bags and bags of snails because everyone needs a couple of snails in their aquarium to keep it clean. So um, yeah, so that was uh, that was that was actually really fun because you went to areas where other people haven't dived and you see all sorts of things. Um, the most amazing, the most amazing spectacle is the um, you know how many lobsters are in the keys during that lobster season and they're all marching down towards the Caribbean. It's wow. Phenomenal. Yeah, just thousands and thousands of them. Um, and then again, the other thing that I was shocked at was um, the um, lionfish, how they have just gotten everywhere. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, they are all over. Every single uh, little crevasse you look under, there's a lionfish and they're invasive species. Uh, you know, somehow, I don't know how, Nature's going to cope, but nature will learn and nature will overcome, I would believe. Hopefully, yeah. Um, anyway, after the Keys, we uh, I got a job in a hotel in, in Billings, Montana. Wow. Uh, so I got a U-Haul and drove all the way up to Billings, Montana. And I was there for a number of months. And then I got a job as a restaurant manager in Lake Gaston, North Carolina. So we came back down to North Carolina. But Billings, Montana was fantastic. Cold, cold weather, minus yeah. 20. Minus 20 Celsius, huh? Um, in the winter, and uh, that frigid. was a bit of a bit of a bit of a shock to the system, but uh, it was fun. It was it was and an eye opener as well. The, the Americans don't tend to slow down when there's ice on the roads; they just keep going. So that's why they have all these pileups on the highways. Yes. <laughs> Did you have any near misses on the roads? Not being used to that um, sort of no, I, I was a very. I mean, having never driven in in those conditions, I was a very sort of cautious driver. Yeah, um, uh, you get used to it though. Um, but uh, it just blows my mind that there's, you know, there's there's a the storm and there's trucks going along, clearing the snow off the road, and people just hurtle along like I know. this. It, <laughs> like it's, it's a sunny it, day. Yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? I had the the pleasure of um, visiting some crew that I worked with, became good friends that are based in Crested Butte in Colorado. And I've been in the snow maybe once in Austria and it was like a tiny speckle of snow. Um, so my knowledge of how to move around is pretty basic. And I was like this special needs person. They were holding my hands everywhere I went for the first couple of days just because uh, just understanding, you know, the slipperiness of everything was, you know, <laughs> a, a bit of a life lesson that and obviously being up so high and having thin air and dealing with that. But yeah, I can only imagine that must have been a, a bit of a, an interesting change for you being in Montana. Yeah, no, we uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. We um, we went snow skiing and you know, the, 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 and then down to Lake Gaston, where Catherine's family is from. 
mm-hmm. um, although from Littleton right next door to Lake Gaston. And so that was a beautiful part of the world. North Carolina is beautiful, beautiful people. Uh, I mean, the whole of the States is fabulous. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great country for sure. So you, yeah. you eventually moved back uh, and, and you were telling me before we started that um, since the hotel is now sold that you, well, you've had another business that you've been operating. What, what's all that about? Yeah, it's a, it's a garden shop um, selling all, you know, plants, seedlings, uh, flowers, paint, hardware, spades, gardening equipment, um, and it's a good little business, particularly over COVID. It's been spectacular business. Yeah. Um, contrary to what we've been doing in the hotel, Catherine was great at getting this business up and up into par, and um, and so we'll, I'll carry on with that. Wow. Um, I'll carry on with that and, and leave my options open because Ella's, my daughter, is still at university. So there's another two years, I guess, left of the university. Yes. Uh, but I would like to go sailing and seeing everyone again, going visiting friends in the different places and uh, getting on a boat for a while. And uh, that, that, that would be my present dream. Which brings me to my next question, which is <laughs> a question that I ask everybody. Now, money's no object for this question. You could have any boat, any size, any destination that you've maybe been to or you haven't yet, what kind of boat and what destination as a guest? As a guest? Yep. I think a in this day and age with what is what is available and the comforts are available, a, a, a nice, a good size catamaran, probably 50 foot with uh, friends. That sounds um, lovely. And friends are mostly in the sailing world at the moment in the BVI. So I would look at the Caribbean and the Virgin Islands, Antigua, love to visit all again. Um, so that would be my first port of call. And thereafter, I'd want to do the Pacific because, you know, the pictures and the, and the viewing that you see now in that part of the world is just phenomenal. Oh, for sure. Definitely. I am thrilled that I've had the chance to talk to you because, I mean, I, I can't count. Well, we've talked about a few of the adventures that we had, but there were many, many more, some not able to be spoken about on podcasts. <laughs> but um, I certainly consider you a, 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 a And, and I'm, good... tr- I'm, truly, I'm, I'm truly relieved that you didn't bring some of them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could get into a lot of trouble. <laughs> I really appreciate you taking some time out to to have a chat. Uh, it's it's just been fantastic um, catching up. Great, wonderful, and uh, hopefully uh, at some point down the road, if not the BVI, if you get yourself to Australia as well, you've always got somewhere to stay here. Thank you. Well, if you're if you're going back to the BVI, then you're going to have to come by Africa and stop off and <laughs> get another visit. And do a detour. <laughs> yeah, Qantas, Qantas is flying this way, are they not? I'm sure. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've actually, they just, what is it, a flight that they're doing now direct, I think, to London? It's like 20 hours nonstop. It's, Goodness it's me. Yeah, it's a crazy trip. Yeah, I wouldn't be putting my hand up so for that one. It's hard when enough. When you fly, when you get to, when you go to BVI, do you fly Pacific way? Uh, which I way fly, do you fly? Direct, well, they originally they had um, flights direct to Dallas or you could do direct to L.A. Dallas was 16 hours. Dallas, uh, L.A. is 14. And then Dallas or Dallas? Dallas, Texas. 
Texas. Okay. Mm. Gosh, there's a direct flight from yep. Aussie to Dallas. Yeah, that's how I'd get home every year. I'd fly from Puerto Rico into the States and then I'd fly out of DFW in uh, Texas and go direct to Brisbane, Australia. It's amazing. 16 hours uh, on the a, 380. There's a, there's a Dallas, Puerto Rico flight. Dallas, Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah. So and Puerto then, Rico and, to and then, Dallas and then Dallas to to Brisbane, Australia. Yeah, but you do Puerto Rico. Is uh, American Eagle still flying? Um, Cape Air would do it and then you, well, you'd fly into Puerto Rico and then, yeah, American Airlines would fly on from Puerto Rico to wherever in the States. Yeah. Yeah, to leave Island anytime, still going. <laughs> yes, done a few of those with my, my bag somewhere else. <laughs> and, and do you have a busy day planned today? Um, I've had a busy morning. Um, I've uh, moved gas bottles for people and I've hung a door and I uh, had my coffee and now I've done this and uh, I'm going to go around to the nursery, which is closed today, but I've got to do book work there today and admin and um, then I'm on duty in the hotel tonight. So, yeah, busy it's day. a busy, busy day. Well, Patrick, yeah. thank you so much for being uh, a guest today. It was, it was really a pleasure having you on. Pleasure. Great. Fantastic. And take care and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll catch up soon. Alrighty. Okay. Before I go, if you'd like to hear more information on today's podcast or you have any questions at all for me, you can contact me at my website, lisamead.com, L-I-S-A-M-E-A-D.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even follow me at Chef Lisa Mead on Instagram. Until next time, I'm Chef Lee Samid and you've been listening to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef.